0: Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church.
1: Good morning. It's great, great to see all of you guys. Uh, here today and uh, join us as we continue to explore this idea of um, what it means to serve. We're calling the series Radical, and it's really what the activity of our faith uh, looks like when we give our allegiance to Jesus and learn how to uh, find His heart and what He longs for the world uh, in which He's created it, and our, our part in it. Now, either I'm gonna be talking to myself today, uh, which could be quite entertaining for y'all, or we're going to uh, be doing something a little bit different. And as we do, we're going to do something a little bit different. I won't be doing that. I do that enough um, as it is. But just as a um, as a pastor, as someone who has, and you start with a vision. You have this little bitty, just sort of fledgling group of people and some of the organizational demands on it. And it grows into something that you uh, really didn't uh, have any business, you know, uh, kind of stewarding and, and trying to understand what to do with what God is doing uh, in and through our church has been a, a continual challenge, a continual wrestling for me personally to try not to just make this something bigger or better or more beneficial to me, but to really uh, say, Lord, what do you want for us to be in this city that we have been uh, placed within? And some of the places, uh, not some of the places, throughout the scriptures, you read things like this. And this is from Isaiah 61. And this is what Jesus would quote when he began uh, his public ministry, his first sort of speech uh, in Jerusalem. He quoted from Isaiah 61 when he opened up the scroll. And this is what it says uh, from the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness the prisoners and to to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a beauty, uh, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. There's something that, we, that happens when we move into the world. And this next verse, verse four, it just says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places that have long been devastated and they'll renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And it just, you see this, this vision for what God longs to do in the world. I think the question uh, for me and that I'll sort of inflict on you Um, is how seriously do we take God's intention for the renewal of all things? How seriously do we take that? It's one thing if God's just helping us to become better citizens and, you know, make our lives work well. It's a whole different idea that God is actually concerned about the renewal of all things. And he's asking and inviting and calling his people um, to that. And so we partner with a lot of organizations. Uh, a couple of our uh, kind of primary partners, um, well, one of them we're gonna mention, uh, hear from today is Vigilant Hope. And so I'd like to welcome up here uh, Laura Bullock. Uh, Laura is the uh, Director of Community Engagement for our partner, Vigilant Hope. So, y'all welcome Laura Bullock uh, up here with me. Hey, Laura. Good morning. Good morning.
0: Good morning.
1: Thank you so much for uh, taking some time uh, today. And uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about this, uh, and this could come out, I assure you, in three different ways (laughs) over three different services, uh, but it's gonna be a lot of fun. Absolutely. uh, I hope. And so, if you'll just take a moment and maybe uh, explain uh, kind of what you do with Vigilant Hope, what Vigilant Hope does, and their uh, philosophy, uh, and sort of how, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Vigilant Hope, uh, we're a local neighborhood based ministry. Our mission is kind of twofold, so our primary goal is to help the, the body of Christ in Wilmington love their city well. Um, help, you know, like I think the average follower of Jesus is like, okay, there's over 2,000 verses in my Bible about poverty and justice. If you didn't know that, there's over 2,000. And so if I'm reading my Bible, I'm going, I'm supposed to love the poor. I'm supposed to love hurting people, but what does that actually look like in 2023 in Wilmington in my life? we kinda of get a little paralyzed. So the purpose of Vigilant Hope is to help equip followers of Jesus to figure that out, find where their, their passion meets the need. But who are we to be teaching that? So we teach workshops and classes and all that good stuff, we're doing some here now. But who are we to teach it if we're not living it ourselves? And so we are really focus on a specific neighborhood on the south side of downtown Wilmington. And we have a couple, we started with some just really basic front door stuff, eating meals together. So we have four community gatherings each week where people from different walks of life eat meals together or spend time together. We, we spent a lot of time listening to the community to assess and understand what the community was concerned about or the community hoped to see happen in their area and so out of that bubbled up a need for access to showers for people who are unsheltered. So we have a mobile shower trailer. Uh, out of that we started to get to know people who didn't wanna be on the streets anymore and so we, we looked at kinda of how do we stand in some gaps and we, we started a leadership pipeline that, that's a leadership development program in that, we ran into this challenge of economic opportunity. If you haven't had a sustainable job or if you don't have a lot of kind of marketable skills, maybe you need somebody who knows you and, and who you know and trust to kind of walk alongside. So we started a, a coffee shop to help fund that right. work. And so really, we're kind of responding to the concerns and desires of the neighborhood yeah. Yeah. Um, while teaching the church how to to do
1: the same. Before you share your story, can you give us like a picture of what the, the, when you say the needs of the neighborhood, we all have a picture in our head, but maybe like help, help me understand, help us understand, um what kind of things are you talking about? Like what does it look like in real life? Like we the experience most of us have when you say unsheltered is someone standing on the, yeah, yeah. the corner uh, at one of the big intersections with the signs, sure. but there's there's a lot more to it. Absolutely. And what, what is it that you see and how what's the lay the, the the lay of the land look like in those neighborhoods? Yeah,
0: well I always say like Wilmington as a city is is known for uh, like our lovely beaches human trafficking, opioid-related deaths, and, and the massacre of 1898, right? <laughs> like, that's right. what we're famous for, yeah. just FYI. Uh, we, we regularly, like, top 10 in opioid-related deaths. Like, we have a lot of challenges in our city um, that people are facing. But, you know, I think, you know, we, we always say poverty is a relational a relational thing. It's broken relationships with God, self, each other, and creation. And so out of that, you know, we see a lot of people who are, are, are suffering with food insecurity. Right. Uh, maybe it's that they have the money for food, but they can't get to a grocery store. It's transportation. Um, we have a lot of people right now, you know, our housing costs are just, we could have just talk about housing for the rest right. of this time and, and have a lot to talk about um, because a lot of people are just in crisis and, and, and stressed. A lot of people don't have the hope of Jesus. A lot of people um, are working really hard, maybe at multiple jobs, and, and it doesn't pay the bills. Right. And, and maybe that's been happening for three generations in their family. And so, the mental and emotional and spiritual strain of that. Um, there's a lot of uh, heavy loads to be carried.
1: Okay. So, um, and so it, it does look like one of the phrases you use when you're talking about this, with the, with, this is specifically about housing, but you use the phrase doubling up. Yeah. That, that there's numbers that we do, we do point in time counts to actually track people who don't have uh, yeah. housing or sustainable housing but there's a whole other group of people who aren't talk about what that, what that looks like in sort of the normal sure. course of life. So
0: when you look at statistics for homelessness in our community, right. for example, um, because that's what we think about often when we think about housing crisis, we think about like who's on the streets. Uh, there's a certain number, like it, it, it comes out to a little over 500, I think unofficially in this city today, but that's just one, one time, one count on the streets. Uh, what we have in our community is a lot of families who like a lot of kids who don't have a permanent address but their family lives with grandma for a minute and then go lives with auntie for a minute and then lives in a a motel for a couple of nights while they can pay for it and then maybe is in the car for a second and then is in with a friend's house and so we call that living doubled up when multiple families are living in a space that maybe is only designed for one family.
1: And that's relatively common. Very common, yeah. Okay. Very common.
0: It's yeah. a big, so not, so more and more and more.
1: Yeah, part of what we wanted is to get a get a broader picture because we want to get real sort of tactical on what we what we can do um, as as a church. And what I thought was fascinating when we were talking is your own personal story. Because I asked okay. you I said, "How did you get into into this work? You went to Appalachian's? No, you went, UNCW. went to UNCW. Came, came from came from Boone. yeah outside
0: of Boone. Yeah, mm-hmm. came to
1: UNCW. Yeah, um, and." Uh, been here ever since, right? Then well, I went Keep back for a mm-hmm. few years. Yeah, yeah, I got Keep this. I'm missing my notes here. So when um, okay. I asked you, how did you get into this kind of work? Like okay. what prompted yeah. it?
0: So uh, I, I'm a, i I'm a church kid, like hardcore, like grew up across the yard from the church. Anybody else? Were you like youth group, like four times a week church? all the church camp. I know some of you in here. Oh my gosh, literally all the things. I was like such a... Like... Did you
1: say your mom was the... So my
0: mom was the choir, choir director, director, right? And so we were literally there all the time. So mom was the choir director. Um, and so I had this really solid Christian foundation from her, but but my father was uh, dealt with addiction and uh, literally like died from his addiction at, at a pretty early age. And so I grew up in this really weird environment where there was sort of the chaos of addiction and the stability of like Jesus and somebody who loved the Lord a lot. And uh, this was weird, but it gave me some really clear options, which I'm thankful for. Um, but, but for me, I, you know, looking back now, there was a time when, when my parents did have to separate and where we needed to just kind of get out of the house that we were in pretty quickly. And the church, our, our church, our church family, literally housed us um, for almost a year. And, and looking back with what I know now, what that did We were a very middle class family, right? So we had sort of the chaos addiction, but we we had the stability of income. Uh, But you know, what happens with divorce, divorce is one of the leading causes of homelessness because when people untangle, it creates a financial crisis. And so what it gave my mom the opportunity to do was to financially stabilize. Uh, It gave us the opportunity to get somewhere safe without committing to like a rental agreement and having to put a whole lot of money up front to to pay for temporary housing. Uh, So she was able to literally financially untangle, uh, purchase a home. And so there was that economic piece, but there was also, you know, because of the addiction, my dad was a real nice guy when he was sober, but a lot of lies were spoken into my life that could have really shaped my future. Um, But for every lie that was spoken over me, there were like five or six church people who were speaking life into me. And that literally, like, I followed Jesus. To, like, they showed me who Jesus, they mm. taught me about Jesus. But, like, I followed Jesus because they showed me the character nature of God. Yeah. So, so I know what the church can do, all that to say. I know that what the church can do and can be uh, because I'm a product of, of God at work in the church. Yeah. And so then, I, you know, I went to Haiti on my first mission trip, this medical trip. I'm holding this baby that's starving to death, like literally starving to death. Or I go, you know, to, into a homeless shelter for the first time. And I'm like, whoa, like, I know what the church can do. But what are we, where are we here? You know, I see this, this opportunity. Yeah. it's opportunity. So that's, I want to help the church be that. Yeah.
1: That's no, why i it's, it's, it's so great. Because the thing that's helped me is you see this, because it's the, the need's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. get uh and you don't know what to do like i mean I, we've all dealt with this you just don't know what to do and, and we're always afraid that whatever we do is going to is going to be help, is not going to be helpful it's going right. to actually be, do the opposite right. or you know all the different stories we tell ourselves and the thing that i thought was was powerful when you said this is you said you know the church operated it sort of kept you middle class yeah. it kept you from sliding into poverty so there were some prevention things that that happened um in that which i know we've got people who are doing a lot of uh, work probably unintentionally in these areas when they open their homes to various sure. you know types of uh uh, scenarios going on. Um, you know, when we think about the overwhelming need, right, there's, there's so much to do. Uh, I think one of the other things, Lou me mentioned mentioned this, is um, when you wrote this down, I wrote down in my notes um, that you, you fundamentally see the church as a place that can bring this way of life, you know, on the actual earth. Yeah. That there's something we can actually do that shapes the trajectory of how people experience um, their lives, particularly when they've been just just demolished for yeah, so long. Absolutely. Um, you know, part of, um, you know, what you were talking about and what some of the things you guys teach is, is a lot of these these areas. And I grew up uh, thinking that the social justice gospel was something other than biblical. Uh, I don't know if y'all have ever had that experience. But that's how I grew up. And it wasn't bad. It was just that was the perspective mm-hmm. of, of the culture. And, um, you know, I've come to, to learn and see, just like I read earlier, that, it's, you know, you mentioned it's 2,000 verses. Well, you know, how do we maybe sort of break some of these things down? I know we were talking about this passage from Luke chapter um, seven. So yeah. if you want to just kind of talk about that for a minute and, yeah. and give us a little bit broader light um, into how we usually think about
0: Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, I, I did the same. I would grow right. up and I was kind of taught um, to, to fear the word justice, yeah. right? Like that, that, that might separate me from Jesus in some, in some way. And then I kept finding it in my Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, wait a second. Yeah. What is this? So like this biblical perspective of, of what God does. So um, so Luke 7, I think is just, man, I love to talk about the widow of Nain. So there's this story in Luke 7. Um, and basically what's happening is Jesus is traveling with his disciples. Yeah. At this point, there's a, a pretty big crowd that's traveling with him. And they pass by the entrance of this, this town, and there's another big crowd. It's a funeral. And this woman, they're, they're this woman's uh, son's funeral, and she's a widow. So she's lost her Uh, It says her husband and also her only son. And it says, the text says, in the midst of these two crowds, Jesus sees her and his heart breaks for her. One translation says his heart breaks for her, removed with compassion. And so he he literally like breaks up their journey. He goes over to her. And what he sees, and I think the reason his heart breaks is this widow has lost her only son, which, you know, I know there's been a lot of loss in this room, like the depth of grief of losing a child alone. The depth of grief of losing a child and a, a, a husband, that is enough to break your heart. But for her, when you look at culture, when you look at ancient Near Eastern culture, this widow, in losing her only son and, and her husband, she has lost like all protection and provision. Right? She's she's I've studied her, right? She's probably gonna be able to keep her house, maybe, but like if anything happens to the roof, there's gonna be no, like she's gonna be dependent on charity to help fix the roof. Uh, there are charity programs within the church at that time, but they're in a different, they're in Jerusalem. So she's got to figure out how to get to Jerusalem to get food, to charity food, and then to figure out how to get it back home. Um, and then on top of that, socially, like culturally, when bad things happen to people, people, there's like an honor-shame culture situation. Yeah. So, so they're going to look at her, like all those people are looking and going, whoa, her husband and her son? what great sin, what did she do? Which I don't think it's that different from us, right? You know, like, I mean, how often do we look at somebody we love karma, lost right? in addiction, somebody on that street corner, and we're like, what did they do to get themselves mm-hmm. into that? I mean, it's the same mentality, right? So they're thinking, what great sin did she commit? So socially, they're probably gonna be like, ooh, let's hang back from this sinner, right? So economically, she's destroyed. Socially, she's destroyed. She's also probably going, what did I do? Because that's how they perceived God at that time. But we know that's not how God is, because Jesus... Clearly so, He is yeah. the embodiment of yeah. God, and it broke his heart. So G- Jesus goes over, and he raises the son from the dead. But what? And so we see that. We're like, cool, miracle. And that's great, right? Relationship restored with the son. But in doing that, he ha- he restores her socioeconomically. He restores her relationally, sense of relationship to family, and also to her community. And he, like... Obviously, I think she's probably going. This guy is the one, right? Restores her spiritually, and so I. And when we look at all these miracles in the in the Gospels, that happens all the time. Yeah. Like every time, there's more to it than just the withered hand, yeah. or the ability to walk. He's restoring people for purpose yeah. and for provision, and so.
1: One and, and this goes along. With this, it's, I mean, I was listening to you talk about that uh, in a place where you were teaching. It's just, it was really, really insightful. Um, I remember uh, years ago. Um, I was at a conference, and um, it was about helping in poverty. And a guy put um, the guy who was teaching the seminar put up a cartoon, and it had people uh, these you know kind of obviously well-to-do people on a truck, and then all the the, po- the people who lived in poverty were down below the truck, and they were throwing bread from the mm-hmm. truck. And the uh, the caption at the bottom simply said, "Don't throw bread from the truck." Yeah. And um, the point is that you can't tackle these issues from a distance. Right. You have to get, you know, proximate yeah. um, to them. And, you know, part of what happened with Jesus, right, he just entered right into the mess. But one of the things that I'd love for you to talk about is, is not only the proximity but when you were when you were saying this, you used the phrase that it was protection, in, and she lost her protection and her advocacy. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think of advocacy, especially today, as more of awareness and someone like it's more of a legal or a, a political mm-hmm. advocacy. But but talk about what proximity and the advocacy of the church might look like for for our our congregation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I think um, advocacy is another word that people are like right. What'd you, what'd you, you know, right. you get nervous what's your, what's around, your versus, like, what's yeah. Your there's usually the sort of assumption of an agenda, um, but like the Holy Spirit is our advocate, right? The Holy yep. Spirit is our advocate. Um, so uh, I think when what happens when you get close to someone, right? When you get near to someone who is hurting, when someone you love is hurting, it matters to you, and you want to, uh, you know, the first thing we typically want to do is fix it, but we're not. We're not right. Jesus, so sometimes we can't fix it ourselves, or maybe it's not our place to fix it. Uh, but you want to advocate. You want to create opportunities for somebody. Like if somebody doesn't have a job and you see them just so discouraged and frustrated because they cannot find a job, you want to like, fi- like who right. do I know? Right? Who am I connected to? Uh, who Like what door might I be able to help open so that that person can get a job? Yeah. Um, it doesn't, you know, and it matters to us when, we're, when we know that person because we care for them. Yeah. So I think, you know, the church... I think for a long time we were, I was kind of raised to believe that mission was telling people about Jesus and also probably like cooking food for people who were hungry, right? Like it's a symptom, right? People are hungry, let's get them some food. It's folding the clothes at the donation drive. Don't hate donation drives. We need donation drives, right? Right, Like, uh, but we often see that as the mission and we kind of check it off. We do it quarterly and then we move on. Where often to me, like our pancake breakfasts are at front door. It's actually like, we're like, hey, yeah, come make a pancake, because that's what we've been taught we're supposed to do. But then we're hoping that you're going to get to know people that maybe don't come from the same life circumstance as you. And you'll learn from each other, because yeah. um, God is already at work in the inner city. Yeah. God is already doing beautiful things there. We don't have to go bring Jesus. We just meet <laughs> Jesus there, just to be clear. Yeah. Jesus is already at work in the inner city. We just get to meet him there. Um, but then we start to care and we you know so i think the power of the local church is like think about the number of humans that we in this room know yeah the number of connections that we have the dollar amount of resources that the church has that isn't bound by government rules it's not bound by you know anything but but the power of the most high god and we are responsible to steward that and we have the opportunity to so like i think about like my friends who are suffering on the streets and like people are, are hurting and then i think about like what like, we have an opportunity here. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think, you know, it's we, one of the, the mantras we use around Port City is, you know, tell me a name and tell me a story. People always want to talk about issues. Um, and issues are fun and they're nice to debate and you can get really, you know, oh, I know all about this, but, but to, to meet a person with a name and with a story automatically changes almost everything about the way you think about it. Yeah. You, have to, you have to really, at least for me, this is my experience, I can feel myself trying to pull away um, because what is going to be required to care? And some of the things that, I, that where I have a lot of confidence now in, in us, who we've become, like I really believe our church has become uh, something fundamentally uh, different than we were. Uh, and there's a readiness and a, w- a will that I think we have. And so part of what I want for us to do is to begin to ask God for a vision, for vision for what it looks like for us. And this the, the thing is, it's not gonna fall on you or you or you or you or me, it's gonna fall on us. And more importantly, it's gonna fall on God's heart who is, who is far more interested in this than we are and to allow him to form us into the kind of people who are willing um, to do these kinds of things. We'll talk more about what to do in just a minute. Um, the reason I bring that up is because I think, um, you know, one of the things that we want to do and I think you alluded to this, we always want to immediately fix, right? Um, One of the philosophies we've really appreciated about Vigilant Hope, and this is why we do partner, we partner with Vigilant Hope um, very directly and very intentionally, and it's because of the relational ministry that they do. Uh, It starts there, you know, one of the things that I've discovered in my own exploration, and I've I've written about this uh, quite a bit, but is that redemption is relational. It's it, when God came to redeem us he came to first and foremost restore us to a relationship with him and the same work is going to happen in order for us to do the kind of work um, that's going to be required for I believe um, the, the 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 state of poverty it's going to requ- it's the same thing we've got to learn how to get relational we have to learn how to do it we have to learn how to do it. And this is where I think you guys are such a great place for us. Can you talk about sort of proximity and the breakfast and what that looks like if if, if I were to go and do that this weekend or on Monday night and kind of talk about the philosophy and what happens in those settings?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, our like our kind of simple perspective is you can't love somebody you don't know. Not well, you know. Not deeply, right. like remember, the, you know. I've been married to try. like the wonderful Corey Bullock for 13 years now, <laughs> and when I married him, I thought I knew him so well, and I thought I was so good at loving him. But like those of you who've been married for a minute, know how funny and silly that is. <laughs> because you know, the longer we know each other, and the better we know each other, uh, the more effectively I can love him, and the more effectively I can receive love. He can mm. love me, you know. And 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 relationships are always that yeah. way. So the more intimately I know the Lord. The, more, the better I understand yeah. the character and nature of God. And, and so it's the same. So our meals are, you know, they're a front door. So uh, we, one thing that, you know, I always try to give people permission. Okay, like when we think about going overseas, church kid, right? My old school mission trip days, I would need to know, like, how long does my skirt need to be for this culture as a woman? <laughs> Do I need to cover my shoulders? Yeah. What are a couple of Uh, a couple of words of the language, like how can I learn a little bit about the culture of the space I'm stepping into? That's normal for us to do when we're going overseas. What we don't do is when we say, if I'm not from uh, the south side of downtown Wilmington, if I'm not from another part of our community, maybe it's okay for me. I have permission to learn a little bit about the culture and the people that live there because we are doing cross-cultural work. And, and that's the beauty, like the, the body of Christ is meant to be cross-cultural. And so, you know, so I think um, what we do uh, is we have community meals because everybody needs to eat, right? So our meals are a little bit different. We are not a soup kitchen. We will tell you that 20 times. Uh, I actually have some of my community meal leaders here today that will be leading you if you come eat breakfast with us one Saturday. So we, we help, you can cook, you'll get to kind of work that like Martha muscle of flipping <laughs> the pancake, wrapping some silverware, but then we're all gonna sit down together, we're gonna eat breakfast. We're going to play bingo and it will be competitive, right? Like, that's what we're going to do because that's a way that we build relationship with each other. Um, so it's meant to be a front door. It's meant to be a space where if you're not, not in the habit of getting to know people from a different walk of life. Yeah. But we've seen pretty radical things come out of just eating together. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what you can expect. We're going to eat together. Like, come hungry. You're not taking food from someone who's hungry because we're not a soup kitchen. That We have soup kitchens. Right. We're a community meal where we practice being together. Yeah.
1: And that's, and it's, it's such a radical, radically different way to think about like when we go to serve like the less fortunate or however you say that we're doing something for them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that if you go in my office on my board, it says, uh, we do things for the world by doing things with other people. Mm, Amen. With. That's good. It's always with. And, you know, my own, um, again, sort of my own experience, this is sort of a, a, it's been about a 10-year learning curve, but there's so many things you just feel so much pressure to do. And you just, there's so many things I look and go, we just can't, we can't do it, just can't get there yet. And so I always try to back up to what can I do. And, you know, we were talking about this, you know, like getting someone's name. We've got some experiences here at the church with that. Um, But just the dignity of listening to someone when you sit down with someone at the pancake and just ask them their story and they get a chance to share or to tell you their name and what they think and where they're, it's, it's a, you know, it's a dignity. It, yeah. it, it extends and values the dignity and the worth in another human being by just listening to their story. And so one of the things I love about you guys is you've been able to start really um, in those places where any, any one of us can step in and begin to learn and to grow and to also be effective. Um, the second thing. So one is the Saturday. Um, or there's when are the meals So done? we eat the together community?
0: on Monday and Saturday mornings, kay. and then we have potluck on Thursday nights.
1: Okay. And so all this all will be uh, information will be available, and anybody can. We're going to actually invite you all to do this. The second thing is that we have coming up is the uh, the workshop. Yeah. And talk about this because this is one of the things where you said we were talking about the church. You know, this isn't just about flipping pancakes right. or serving meals. There's actually a lot of other things that are needed in the way the church functions and works together.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So like our goal at Vigil Olympus is to set you free from the idea, like if you're a terrible cook, please don't come cook, right? We don't need you to cook. We need <clears throat> you to, to, like you are created with gifts, skills, passions, and abilities that God put in you. And and something has happened in the church. Uh, we're, we're all recovering from it now, but like it's it's still in us, is we turn all of that off when we think about mission and service. But actually what we, what like I will, I will be so bold as to say, like, what we need the body of Christ to realize in our city is that your gift, skills, passions, and abilities are probably exactly, exactly what we need. And there is this beautiful sweet spot or maybe a few options of sweet spots where your gifts, skills, passions, and abilities match the need in the community. Yep. And you're going to thrive in it. You're not going to hate it. Like, you're not going to see me in a uh, grow zone. All right. <laughs> I, like we, we
1: probably need to talk about that though. You're not I'm gonna see me a growth zone, right?
0: That's not my gift skill path. Yeah. That's not my spot. Yeah. My spot is like Out. you know, like I, I like I have found this place where I thrive and I'm most useful and that's where you need me to be. Yeah. And each one of you has that place. And and so I always we talk about shalom a lot, this idea mm. of like what God's vision is. Like the opposite of poverty is not wealth. All the wealthy people would be happy. The opposite of poverty is this flourishing relationship with God, self, each other and creation. And, and so we each have a thread, like this like, tapestry of all these complex pieces bring bought together to make something whole and beautiful. So we each have a thread. So that all those, all those words to say, the workshop is designed to kind of be a first step for you if you're like, okay, I want to serve effectively. I want to kind of know if I'm doing something harmful, I want to kind of get a heads up that, that this, this might not be very helpful, but here are some first steps toward finding that place that is my sweet spot. So whether you've been serving for a long time or you're kind of like, okay, let me just stick a toe in. Like, this is that perfect opportunity. Because
1: yeah. this will be a way to point to, like, um, there, we work with Step Up uh, mm-hmm. Wilmington, which is uh, job training, and there's practice interviews and all kinds of things that go into that. Uh, and you you guys work with a lot of these other, other organizations. So it's not just yeah. about getting involved with Vigilant and Hope That's and right. finding a, a, a pigeonhole or a, a puzzle piece, you know, um, the round hole. But rather it's about... Um, really understanding, you guys have a, an understanding of what's happening yeah. in our whole community. You know, part of our pledge as a church, because this this isn't to say that you need to do something every Saturday of your week. I, what we recognize, and part of our effort and the way we're trying to structure and arrange as a church is we want to ensure that whatever you do is going to be meaningful to you and your family. We, we talk about accessible. It's going to be accessible to you and your family where you are, with the experience you have, with the age that your children are, the season of life that you're in, because we know what that's like, right? And so we wanna make sure that it's accessible for you and it's gonna be meaningful to you in your walk and to your sense of participating in what God is doing. We wanna make sure that's that's happening. And also we want it to be effective. Like part of what we are committed to, we're not just trying to make people feel better about themselves, about doing something for people. We wanna actually move the needle in some of the areas of poverty, food security, and meaningful employment. Can't do a lot uh, with affordable housing yet, um, but make no mistake about it, we're gonna be trying to put as much pressure in as many places as possible. But it starts when we learn how to have relationships, when we we start to invest in relationships and start doing things with other people. So these two things are going to be a part um, of that. And So just to uh, sort of... um, sum up, and largest. largest thank you so much for the work that you guys do. Um, one more thing, um, for those of you who don't know, we have a Vigilant Hope coffee shop in our um, space, and you guys run it. Um, how helpful is that um, to you guys? Yeah. oh my
0: gosh. So like literally the easiest way to support us is to just buy coffee. It's so simple, <laughs> y'all. But here's why, because it's not just about like making money for, like it, it does help pay our bills, but really what, it, what that does is it provides Kind of like what, the, what happened with The Widow. So like we have intentionally hired a few community members that like used to use our shower trailer and now they run it or used to depend on resources. And, now, uh, and, and that, that coffee shop funds their job. And it funds that holistic, like we like were able to come in and say, okay, let's figure out together housing and, and transportation and employment and all those things all together at once. And, and so literally just by drinking coffee, you're contributing yeah. to that to that shalom. So
1: yay, perfect. Yeah. So, drink, um, coffee. drink coffee. Volunteer
0: in the coffee shop.
1: <clears throat> yeah, all these things are, but, but these are ways for us as a church to extend ourselves in ways that, that are yeah. available, available to us. And so the two things that you can do uh, is to go and sign up for a meal um, and actually go and have pancakes or uh, the community meal on sure. Monday, uh, Monday night or Thursday. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Uh, you can actually do that. We'll help schedule and organize. We don't need 400 people to show up uh, <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow night. It would probably be a problem. Um, so we'll help organize and schedule that as we, as we need and to um, make a, a plan to be do at the workshop. community workshop, the, at the workshop on June the 4th is yeah. at the time. And I think Clay's going to give us some more details on that. Um, so I hope this, you know, for you, for all of us is, is, is helpful to begin to get a picture and understanding what's happening and the role that we have as a church. And when I was praying for our time this morning, I was like, Lord, you know, would you help us to measure the effectiveness of this time together by what we are willing to consider, by what you and I are willing to consider about what is happening in the world and what we're learning about what's happening in our very own city and how we can actually um, be a part of moving the needle and bringing redemptive um, hope uh, into these places. Laura, thank you for your work. Thank you. thank you so much for your time. Can we say thank you to Laura Bullet for being here? And Clay, good coming up. Clay's got some instructions uh, for us.